0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. Just a quick reminder it's a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This week, Brian Strauss joins me to talk El Clasico, what's next for Arsene Wenger, the New York City Derby, a US-less and Mexico-less Copa America. Rocco Camiso and the possibility of recording next week's pod a few beers into our editor's wedding this week. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss here from beautiful Washington D.C. Brian, what's going on, man?
1: Hey, man. Um, you know, like the, you know, like those times when you have so much work to do that you, there's almost no point in doing any of it. yes you know like what's another what's an hour of work I mean how is that what what is that one shovel full of sand from the beach really gonna do for me so I'm actually just gonna I'm gonna sit on the couch and 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 you know pick my nose and watch Simpsons reruns Um, well
0: nobody's gonna feel sorry for us for covering soccer full-time for a living and I realize that but I will say this that you folks might be surprised to know that The hardest, most busiest time for us is not during a World Cup itself, it's right before the World Cup, because you've got a million preview things that you're working on.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've each got these these two magazine features. Uh, My first one, like 4,000 plus words, is due tomorrow, as we are recording this, Um, and uh, I'm behind, so... So it happens. if cover if covering soccer means being at home in your underpants, pacing at three in the morning, trying to figure out how to explain, you know, solidarity payments to a magazine audience, <laughs> then then be jealous of that. Be jealous.
0: <laughs> I have two magazine stories I need to write by the end of the week for our World Cup preview issue. Uh at Sports Illustrated. Very excited about the stories. Um uh but I got a lot of work to do between now and the end of the week before we both go to the wedding of Avi Creditor, our SI.com soccer editor, uh who we're very happy is getting married. We wish the best to him and his new bride. That'll be uh, that'll be
1: Sunday. That's exciting. I really know. Congr- congratulations to him. Um it's weird, because like getting married is is like it's it's pretty common, right? I mean, most people do it. Um but yet, like I like for me, like I have a better chance of like starting for Barcelona or walking on the moon. <laughs> than getting married so like for me it's like a really really impressive achievement and avi is the man so congrats to him and um and i don't know like i haven't been to a wedding in a while but typically typically back in the day i was always like you know i'm always sat at the table by the kitchen you know like i'm always in the corner um so uh you know maybe i'll be there again and i'll i'll uh i'll get really drunk because i'll have this well because i'll have this story done it'll be great
0: well, maybe we can sit at the same table in the corner and record next week's podcast a couple of beers in.
1: <laughs> a drunk history Planet Football podcast. <laughs> let's do it. People are like, wait, you're sober now? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so let's start with El Clasico. Uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, 2-2 at Barcelona. Barcelona maintains its possibility, likelihood at this point, of going the entire La Liga season undefeated which is not getting nearly as much attention, I think, as it should be.
1: I agree with you, yeah.
0: Um, you know, are they going to be called like the Invictos, like the Invincibles were for, for Arsenal
1: back in the day? People don't give enough credit to to the depth of La Liga just because a lot of these teams, you know, in the middle. I know, I remember after, you know, Manchester United lost to Sevilla and people were sort of ripping on Sevilla. It's in, they're in eighth place in La Liga. You know, as this mediocre, below-average team. Well, yeah, I mean, Sevilla doesn't have the, you know, the branding that 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 the teams in England do. Um, but this is a really, really strong league with a lot of really good clubs, and there's a lot of depth. Um, and to go unbeaten in it is is just so impressive. Um, but of course, in the in the around the access of Barcelona and Real Madrid, you know, so much of it is about how do you outdo the other, and so. While Madrid is is ninety minutes away from its third consecutive European title, you know it's going to take some of the luster off of Barcelona's domestic double. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is.
0: So this was probably the lowest stakes we've seen for an El Clásico outside of the one in Miami last summer. <laughs> uh, and and actually, like that game in Miami, it didn't matter. They came out to play a uh, chippy game. Wide open game, even though Barcelona played most of the game down a man. Uh, terrible refereeing on both sides. Uh, I know VAR has gotten a lot of stick lately, but please bring it to La Liga because there were so many instances in this game, whether it was Suarez obviously fouling Varane on, right before Messi's goal or Bale should have been sent off uh, for putting his cleats in in. Uh, The thigh of uh, or the the calf of a Barcelona player, Uh, or I think like
1: right along, yeah, right along the the touchline, yeah, yeah, that was savage.
0: Or or Marcelo, you know, drawing a clear penalty with no call, uh, late in the game. Is that the first Uh, call
1: Marcelo hasn't gotten in his career? That guy,
0: (laughs) or or Sergio Ramos. Being Sergio Ramos and probably deserving a second yellow, not getting it. There were just so many examples in this game of bad calls on both sides that I think it was just general incompetence. But it was still a fun game and a terrific goal, albeit aided by Suarez's foul that Messi scored. Well, uh, and, down it, and his first
1: one that was at Sergio Roberto who, who who sent that that looping cross into Suarez. Beautiful that. cross! Oh God, that was, I love that goal. I love I love just quick. Ruthless goals, you know, conjured out of nothing by really, really smart, talented players. Um, and 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 that was an absolute, you know, that was a dagger. That was just a out of nowhere, uh, beautiful play. Um, you know, incisive, uh, impactful, explosive. It was it was wonderful. That was, that was probably my favorite play of the game.
0: Cristiano Ronaldo scores for Real Madrid, injures his ankle in the process, comes off. Oh, that's right. Yep. Uh, sparks. Some concern about whether he'll be at 100 percent for the Champions League final, but that's still a ways off yet. Um, and Gareth Bale, who probably should have been sent off earlier in the game, hits a, a nice equalizer for 2-2. Two, two. So um, the other thing that came up around this game was the guard of honor. This is the stuff. best thing.
1: This is the this, this is the best thing about this week's. Weekend's Classico is the fight. So fill the fill
0: honor. fill everyone in on this.
1: I don't know that I can. Uh, I it is it is essentially seen it. It's when players on the opposing team. We saw it for for Arson this weekend as well. It's when it's when a collection of people defined in some way um, make a I don't know stand on either side make a pathway. You know we see it sometimes in finals when the winning team goes up to collect their, their medals and the, the, the defeated team, or maybe sometimes vice versa before the defeated team goes up to collect their, their silver medals, you know, they'll stand on either side and then they'll make a, they'll make a, what do you call it, you know, a, a pathway for them, you know, and honor them and applaud them as they walk in between and, uh, up to wherever they're going. And so, yeah, there was this massive kissing contest in Spain this week about whether or not Madrid, would give a guard of honor to Barcelona for being the La Liga champions. And it just became this ludicrous, um, you know, junior high homeroom um, kind of kind of debate. And, you know, well, they didn't do one for us, and so we're not going to do one for them. And, and uh, it was awesome. It was so petty and stupid. And I loved the fact that it became a topic of conversation.
0: So Real Madrid was, were they suggesting that Barcelona had not given them a guard of honor for the World Club Cup title?
1: I, that is what Zidane said. They did not give us the guard of honor <laughs> for winning the Club World Cup. So we're not going to give them one for winning La Liga, which is awesome. Oh, that's, that's, just, that's just great. And, and, and it, it reminds me of the, 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 the sort of the forced, awkward stupidity of it reminds me of another really, really sort of strange Spanish tradition that requires I, – I believe this is – it's the club presidents, I believe – and so, they, at every game, the two club presidents must sit next to each other, in a in a in a box. So you have like you know you have these two guys who, you know, don't want to spend two hours together. Probably maybe aren't even friends. Maybe are rivals. You know, maybe would rather be getting work done or sitting with their colleagues or friends instead. They just sit rigid. You know, <laughs> like they're wearing suits made of plywood you know, in the front of a, of a box at midfield. And so every now and then the camera will pan toward them and they both look like they want to just swallow a cyanide pill. And that's how they're watching their teams play. And it's just, it's ludicrous. And so it's, so I, and I enjoy that. I, I enjoy other people's ludicrousness. And so, yeah, so the guard of honor farce was really funny. And I guess they made, I guess I read that they made, like they had Barcelona staff give the players the guard of honor because Madrid refused to do it, which is also awesome.
0: What if we told people that you and I were currently giving a guard of honor to
1: Barcelona? Would that be sufficient? A a two-person guard of honor. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) So speaking of guards of honor, Arsene Wenger, you mentioned, got one at his final home game, uh, Arsenal beating Burnley over the weekend. And all these Arsenal fans at the Emirates bathing him in adulation when what, 90% of those same people two weeks ago were hiring planes to fly Wenger out banners overhead? That's probably accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Wenger was actually thinking about this when he was getting the standing ovation? I I mean, I kind of feel bad because, like, this makes me sound really cynical. It was kind of a cool moment.
1: It was a cool moment. I guess they gave him, I I, I guess that they were, you know, you, you talked about Barcelona's, unbeaten season i guess when they had their invincible season was it oh four now um they they were given a gold premier league trophy um instead of the standard silver premier league trophy and i guess they gave it to him i saw photos of of arsenal executives um i don't know who they were forgive me um i have i've been writing this stupid story so i've had the tv on mute all weekend (laughs) um but it was it wasn't like Ivan Gazidis, and it certainly wasn't Stan Kroenke. Um, but give, giving 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 Wenger the 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 gold Premier League trophy that they won for their unbeaten season, which is which is which is symbolic and appropriate because he's been living off that season now for fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> so only fair that they give him the memento um, representing. Uh, well, I guess they made the Champions League final a couple years later, but essentially representing the the achievement that kept him employed probably far past far past his sell by date at the club.
0: You know, here's my question is, and I get I get back to this, why is it that Arsenal's undefeated league season is celebrated so much more than the one Barcelona is having right
1: now? I I don't know other than the fact that we've all heard of of you know, Everton and West Ham and and the second tier teams in England. And people don't necessarily really know what's going on at Real Sociedad or Celta Vigo or Athletic Bilbao. Like I, I just, I, it has to be perception and branding and marketing and maybe in Spanish speaking countries and maybe in Spain, it, it will be, I, I, I don't know what the, I don't know. I, otherwise I don't know what the answer is.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, they're not going to make a gold La Liga trophy for Barcelona if they go undefeated, but they did for Arsenal apparently. Um, In terms of Arsenal and Wenger, more Wenger than Arsenal, what do you see him doing next? Because he's been very clear about saying, this was not my timetable to leave this season. I want to go somewhere and still work. And here's Arsene Wenger, who has always had so much control, which has been part of the problem at Arsenal for so long, was that he wasn't just the first team head coach. He was also controlling transfers and a lot of other big picture stuff too much stuff so where can he go that will not be too much of a step down that will also give him the kind of control that he's used to because i wouldn't think you'd want to give arson wenger just a little bit of control because that's a recipe for problems right
1: um i don't know philadelphia union <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, I mean, like... Whitecaps? I
0: mean, that's the thing. It's like, I I don't know if I can see uh, a top-level European club being willing to do that. And so it makes me wonder if he would be better off as, like, a director of football for, I don't know, PSG or Monaco or the French Federation or something like that.
1: He's from... Um, uh... I mean, obviously, you associate with him with Monaco. He's from Strasbourg in France. He played there. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he maybe he goes home, right? I mean, he's he's you know in his late sixties, right? Uh, mid sixties, late sixties. Um, it'll be interesting, and and but I agree with you. I, I agree that that he's going to take a step down, so to speak, to a club that has you know a, a little bit lower of a profile. Um, but there, but those clubs would would love to have him. I mean, if you're if you're the Vancouver Whitecaps, you know, you'd love to have Arsene Wenger. You know, if you're, you know, a team in, in France or a team in in, in Germany or, or wherever. Maybe he wants to stay in England. Maybe he, uh, you know, maybe he coaches, uh, you know, Accrington Stanley.
0: <laughs> I mean, people forget, though, that, like, he took risks and went to not your typical places earlier in his career before he came to Arsenal. He was in Japan for a while.
1: Yeah. I think you uh, with the same club Gary Lineker went to. I don't know if they were there at the same time. Was that Kashima Antlers? I don't remember what they're called.
0: I think so, or maybe it was something else. I'm actually going to look this up right now because I feel like I should know. Um, let's see here. Um, Nagoya um, Grampus is that Grampus Eight?
1: Yes, Nagoya Grampus Eight. Okay. They are. You should. Everyone listening, if if you if you're if you've got ten minutes to kill, look up uh, some of the ludicrous names of Japanese clubs, <laughs> and and how where they. A lot of them are made up of sort of like portmanteau words from Spanish and Italian, and they're utter nonsense. And and every time I sort of think about, like, my God, I can't believe there's a team called Rail Salt Lake. Um, you know, read about some of these Japanese names, and they'll they'll um. <laughs> They'll make you cringe and laugh. (laughs) I mean, what's cool is, is that Arsenal hired him from the Japanese club. That's right. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, you know, I was, I was, that was a long time ago. I don't remember the story behind that or how, how that happened or what the connection was there.
0: I mean, he had been at Monaco before that, right?
1: but I mean, could you
0: imagine a coach, like a top level Premier League team hiring a coach from a Japanese club straight from a Japanese club today?
1: It'd be, that'd be like a Premier League team coach. Hiring Patrick Vieira? <laughs> <laughs> Hiring an American from the French Second Division. Oh, I uh, I talked to Patrick Vieira last week for this magazine piece, and then they went out and got eviscerated by the <laughs> Bulls. So I don't know if Patrick has been in this country long enough to know about the SI jinx. Let's hope not.
0: Well, I mean... You look at that game, New York City Derby, Red Bulls 4, NYCFC 0. Game was over less than 10 minutes in. Red Bulls two quick goals. Um, I've really enjoyed watching NYCFC play this season, and I think they're one of the best teams in MLS. And so when I see a result like this, I'm sort of left befuddled. Uh, Now, give a ton of credit to Jesse Marsh and his team for the way they played this game. And Kaku looks like a really good signing, by the way um Bradley Wright Phillips doing his thing again this season um this might be a deeper attacking Red Bulls team than we've seen in the past right
1: I mean they're always going to generate chances right because of their press because of the way they play because of the way they harry teams and when you have a team like NY at CFC that wants to build that wants to possess that wants to uh that, that has a structure that that has them building from deep up the field Uh, if you're not precise on the day you're playing into the hands of a team like the red bulls that essentially is inviting you to do that. And so when one team isn't precise and the red bulls finish their chances, you're going to get a result like the one we saw. And this is not the first time they've, they've blown out NYCFC, right? So if, if the stars are aligned because of the way these two teams play, you're, you're going to get a result like this. Um, yeah, Kaku looks, looks good. And of course it makes you wonder, um, had had Marsh been confident in him, or had Marsh been, or had Kaku been ready, or whatever the dynamic was there when they played Chivas, um, it, may, it makes you obviously wonder uh, what could have been there. Um, but but don't be befuddled, man. It's MLS. I mean, it's it's <laughs> the, the that's that's the intriguing and maddening thing about this league is that there are going to be every weekend just these scores that make absolutely no sense. Um, you know, we have both, like you said, we have been so immersed in World Cup stuff and 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 not only the work required to get ready for it but the logistics too right i mean you know just getting ready for this trip to russia um and so we're not as i'm not i don't want to speak for you I, i'm not as plugged in to mls as i'd like to be or as i usually am and so you you look at scores you look at some highlights and you're just like wait when did orlando become a clutch soccer team that went that grinds out results like when <laughs> did when did this occur but it, it's happened they won 6 in a row you know and uh you know Dallas has lost only one game um is still doing great uh so you know there there are there are some trends emerging here San Jose is really really struggling um i wonder michael Staria. i wonder what the what the dynamic is there um i look forward to plugging back in in in, in september if i'm not in a russian prison
0: <laughs> big if, my friend yeah. i mean i look at orlando early in the season And I really thought Jason Christ was in danger of losing his job after the first few games. Yeah. Because I thought they might pull the trigger on him. Because it didn't get off to a great start. They were missing guys, but they were losing games. And they had a great comeback and won a game early in the season. And then that turned things around. They've been fantastic ever since.
1: I mean, they haven't exactly been beating up um, the cream of the crop. I mean, Colorado, San Jose, Philly. Portland before they sort of started to get some traction under say Seattle, my God, like, I mean, but, but they've They're been here before, right? right? I mean, half, yeah. halfway through the 2016 season, they were in deep, deep, deep trouble and thought they needed, you know, witchcraft, uh, you know, and soul selling to make the playoffs. And of course now, you know, we all remember that they were the champions of 2016. So, but yeah, they, they are, they, they look inept and they look frustrated and they look slow um, and, uh, they've got one win now in, in seven games. Um, so plenty of time to turn it around. This is MLS. Uh, Garth Loggerway said they're going to spend big over the summer. Um, obviously they have to replace Jordan Morris. Um, but, uh, you know, Seattle and the galaxy as well, you know, the galaxy, the, 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 the bloom has come off sort of the Zlatan signing. They've, they've lost four of five. And so, um, you know, these are two marquee clubs in the league uh, that are really struggling. and But again, by, by the fall, this may be ancient history. You know, this is just the way this league is. And so we get results like NYCFC shipping four goals to the Red Bulls, and we get, you know, six game win streaks in Orlando. And, and who knows whether either of these things mean a damn, you know, three or four months from now.
0: Well, I do think the difference between LA Galaxy and Seattle is that I think Ziggy Schmidt is in real danger of losing his job. And I thought that heading into the season. I don't think Brian Schmetzer is. I think he's earned a lot of credit getting Seattle to the final the last two seasons and winning one of them. But I thought Ziggy Schmidt, and I love Ziggy personally, I think that was a weird hire out in L.A. when, when that was done. And I also think there's a fair amount of pressure on the Galaxy to at least get to the playoffs this year, especially given all the money that they've spent Uh, on designated players Um, and that's not even including Ibrahimovic that's a team that's struggling you know they really had something they could have built off of with that miraculous comeback in Zlatan's two goals to beat their arch rival LAFC four to three and since then they're one and four.
1: Yep, and LAFC is uh, ahead of them in the standings by what? By six six points at this point. So LAFC is in second place in the West. So that's also inter- an interesting dynamic, because you now have that crosstown sort of measuring stick. Um, and meanwhile,
0: uh, meanwhile, Caleb Porter sort of lurks. He does over lurk. the the situation. Caleb, and, are you and listening?
1: I, Hi, Caleb. <laughs> and, Miss you.
0: And also, Caleb Porter, the former college roommate of Chris Klein. LA Galaxy president, so uh, very curious to see how all that pans out. Um, But, you know, being on the hot seat is a relative thing in MLS. Jason Christ was on the hot seat a few weeks ago, and now Orlando's basically the hottest team in the league. Uh, I will say this. There is a tremendous triple header on national TV this Sunday for MLS with three games that I'm pretty excited to see. You've got uh, Atlanta, Orlando. Uh, You've got Portland Seattle rivalry game and you've got what LAFC NYCFC, all in a row um, I'm actually really fired up for that now that also means the rest of the games all weekend are snoozers
1: but what are we gonna do with the wedding uh the very good Sunday. question yeah we're gonna have to um I don't know I mean we're gonna have to to bring our phone chargers I guess and just kind of kind of sit I mean we're not going to know anyone we don't know any Avi's friends right no one's going <laughs> to want to talk to us they sure won't if we're watching soccer no they won't well maybe you no one's going to want to talk to me I know I'll, I'll be uh, yeah I'll uh, I'll, I'll, uh, or I'll watch and I'll, I'll update you sorry Avi. love you man
0: um, watching but Orlando I'm looking forward to that um, also in American soccer you wrote a story about this Rocco Camiso owner of the New York Cosmos uh net worth five billion dollars is doing what
1: hey you broke up there for a second sorry
0: <laughs> oh sorry what it's what sorry. is rocco camiso doing with his vast wealth
1: uh he them. wants to he wants to spend it all on 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 rebuilding uh the n a s l or uh, an n a s l like league um and they have been um It's been an interesting tactic that they've been using while, of course, pursuing these parallel lawsuits in federal and state court against U.S. soccer and the board of directors. Um, They have been sending correspondence uh, to not only U.S. soccer, but to um, uh, UEFA. I mean, FIFA, CONCACAF, um, CONCACAF federations, um, other federations around the world uh, that had players who were, uh, you know, employed by NASL teams, had good jobs in the U.S. Um, you know, they're appealing to FIFA and, and, and CONCACAF for, you know, regulatory relief and, 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 you know, because they disagree with the standards that U.S. soccer has for the professional leagues and the way they've been applied. Um, and it is going to bring U.S. soccer to the table. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it will be Carlos Cordero Uh, I spoke to Carlos a couple days ago and I think he was in Bahrain. I don't think he even (laughs) knows I think he said he's been to Asia 12 times since he was elected president in February. Um, Hmm. And that's just unfathomable to me. So I I, I, Carlos is and his counterparts with the FMF and Canada are just 24 seven on this uh, on this World Cup bid. But I, I, it does appear, uh, from what I understand, that uh, maybe Dan Flynn, maybe some other executives, board members at US Soccer are going to meet um, with Camiso and see if there is some kind of way forward. Um, and it's going to be a game of chicken because US Soccer is going to say, okay, maybe we grant you sanctioning, maybe we grant you leeway, but you got to drop the lawsuits. And of course, then Camiso says, and I'm, I'm, I'm not in the room. I'm hypothesizing, but. You know, maybe maybe they're using sock puppets to talk to each other. I don't know. But, um, you know, Camiso says, well, I, you know, the lawsuit's the only thing protecting me at the moment. So I'm, why would I drop that? Why would I give why would I give away my only leverage? You know, you do this for me. And then over time, maybe the lawsuit doesn't continue, et cetera. So those kinds of, of, of posturing are going to take place. But it, it does sound like there's going to be a meeting. Um, And that these letters and this offer to invest $500 million in pro soccer and sort of reaching out to other parties around the world to try to get them interested in what's going on here, it does sound like that at least has tipped the scales a little bit.
0: I mean, what I would say is, is that when you have someone as wealthy as Camiso who wants to spend a lot of money connected to soccer, I'd much rather see that money go toward building soccer than lawsuits.
1: Yeah, no question. And he's and he's got well, he's got money for both. <laughs> um so uh uh you know, and there and of course there are people who, you know, this is a an inkblot test for so many people, right? There are people who, who think Camiso should be able to pump as much money as he wants into American soccer and do it how he wants, and there should be let the market decide and there should be freedom, and there are people who think there should be structure, and there are people maybe cynical. I mean, the you know, what what's the difference, you know, Camiso offered to um uh by the rights, by US soccer's marketing rights that are currently held by some. And he said, I'll pay more. Whatever some is paying for them, I will pay more. It's your fiduciary basically testing this idea that it's the Federation's fiduciary responsibility or whatever fancy term they use to to you know achieve full value for their 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 properties in order to grow the game here. Um, but then of course the cynic will say well that's you know how is it any different if MLS has all that stuff, versus if Camiso and the NASL hold all that stuff. I mean, you still right. have a uh, a property with uh, an entity with 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 its own interests uh, holding these rights. So it's very complicated. I don't pretend to understand or know what the answer is. But like I said, it it does it does seem at this point, to my knowledge, a meeting has not taken place yet. We're saying this on Monday, but uh, if there were to be one this week, I would not be surprised.
0: Okay. Uh, Another thing I wanted to talk about was Copa America 2019 is going to be in Brazil, and they had announced that this was going to be an expanded tournament to 16 teams, and there were invitations out to a few countries, including the U.S. and Mexico, and then they announced a couple of days ago, actually, there's going to just be 12 teams, no U.S., no Mexico, and the two invited teams are Japan and Qatar. Which aren't anywhere near.
1: South no, America. no, and then now and, and I think Japan's been in it before. Uh, it's I'm I'm not gonna watch those games. No <laughs> <laughs> one else right now, not watching.
0: I, I think we're in this sort of transition phase right now. The whole structure where of the
1: game is in train. yep.
0: Yep. There's there's too many gold cups in CONCACAF, there's too many Copa Americas, in my opinion. If you if you continue to have this combine Copa America like we saw in 2016 in the US in 2020 in the US or potentially USA, Mexico, Canada Um, and then you keep having the traditional Copa America the year after the Men's World Cup which is mainly just South American teams then that's strange to me and I still think it's strange to have two Gold Cups every four years but that's a sop to all the island countries of the Caribbean. The Gold Cup being expanded too, by the way. Yep, to sixteen teams. Yep. Um, and I think we just need to have fewer tournaments overall,
1: right? Uh, we're, we're like I said, we're we're at a transition point. I mean, we and plus, you know, we talked about this on the show last week. This twenty-five billion dollar offer for a, 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 an expanded Club World Cup, um, and. Uh, uh this whatever this global nations league is gonna be. Um so we're clearly at a point now and as and as the World Cup expands, that's gonna change the entire are we still gonna need to play sixteen games, for example, to qualify for a 48 team World Cup. Um if we do, that's dumb. So we're we're we don't know what this is gonna look like in a few years. We're clearly at a at an inflection point where there are different interests. Um T V the T V money has changed um you know the 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 landscape has changed in terms of the power uh and influence held by a very small group of very rich and elite clubs in europe um you have the us now more involved obviously as the sport grows here you've got a lot of the people who used to run the sport now like in jail um so or <laughs> dead so th- there's there's or banned or otherwise not available so th- i don't know i don't know what it's going to look like but clearly i agree with everything you said Um, the Copa America Centenario was fun and we all talked about at the time, like what if the, over the Euro summer, right over the summer, you know, the, the, the summer between world cups, you know, while they were doing the Euro, we had the combined Copa America. That would be pretty sweet. Um, but there's a million reasons why we, why we shouldn't do it. And there's a million interests pushing either way. So I, I, it's just gonna, it's just gonna look that the structure of the sport is changing. These nations leagues are coming on. The Confederations cups are going away. Nobody knows when we should do a Gold Cup or a CONCACAF Cup. I don't even know if that thing still exists. Um, it's it's all it's all incomprehensible, and we'll just have to check in. Let's check in on this topic in a couple years when we're doing this podcast from the Denny's we work at, and um, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about it. So I mean, no, I'm not I'm not well. I think isn't it true? Like if we played in. You you can't you can't get mandatory player releases for non confederation events, right? Right. So we could not bring an A team or the necessarily the team of our choosing or whomever I'm sorry whomever the coach U.S. coach in 2019 is a team of his choosing um, to a Copa America in Brazil. So then you start thinking about bringing a B team like Bob did and whenever that was 2009 seven seven. Uh, thank you, and got. Got wrecked, right? Because it was basically a, an MLS All Star team that just. But I, it
0: was actually a lot of guys who had their first serious experience with a national team who ended up being on the 2010 World Cup team. Look that's it up. True.
1: That's true. Yeah, Benny Failhaber, one of them. Jay Demerit. Um, Jay Demerit. Thank you. Um, so, right, it's good for us. I would love to. I would love to take a B team to the to the Copa America, but I don't know that CONMEBOL wants to see a, a USB US B team. I, I don't know what the politics are, but I just I just know that that we're in the middle of, of something that's in significant transition and we have no idea what it's going to look like once we, once we come out the other side.
0: I mean, here's where I would like to end up. Uh, I would like to end up with a combined Copa America involving Comma Ball and CONCACAF the same summer as the Euro, like we saw in 2016. I think that those are two equivalent tournaments. And I think they're awesome, especially yep. because everyone sends their best possible teams. That gets people excited. It doesn't need to be in the U.S. every four years at all.
1: Maybe well, once every eight years, except when, except with the you know the now and then you'll have your Neymar going to the Olympics instead of the Copa kind of deal, I suppose. But um, yeah, you know that's up to them. I agree. And but then when somebody says, well, you know, if there are if there's a sixteen team Copa America every four years. That's six CONCACAF countries, right? And you know the U.S. and Mexico will qualify automatically. So that's four CONCACAF countries. And is that fair for a region of, of however many teams, 40-plus teams? you know? And 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 there should be a way for these teams to, to – I mean you can call it a sop to the Caribbean countries. But at the same time, you, c- you can't also go and say to them, look, all the revenue that came from those gold cups, you can't have that anymore because they don't exist. And the chance to play at a high-level international tournament – not going to happen. Sorry, because we've only got four qualifying spots, and you know Costa Rica is going to get one, and Honduras is going to get one. So good luck. Look, if you, you want to make it, a, you know, if you want to make
0: it, a, if you want to make a twenty-four team tournament, I would not die if that were the case, and and throw a bunch of island nations in there. Um, though I would say that the nations league is going to give a lot of competition. That's true. Compared to the past, that's true. For those if same if they figure out, yeah,
1: if they figure out these nations league things, and, and then that those are the mortar around the bricks of you know these 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 quadrennial continental tournaments, then maybe that's the way this all shakes out.
0: And then I have no problem with Confederations Cup going away at all. So if you replace that with a a twenty four team expanded FIFA Club World Cup every four years, I you know we've talked about this. I know your thoughts. Um, You know Wanting an annual club world cup But
1: I, th- I, th- I think eventually the club world champion Is going to be decided by a playoff Between the winner of the summer ICC <laughs> And the MLS all-star game <laughs> For the Charlie Stilitano Cup Yes That is how we're going to do it It's been decided um, Don't at
0: us I mean, here's what I would say. I am tired of two gold cups every four years. It's Just a lot. make it one. It's, it's a ridiculous. lot. It's ridiculous, dude. I, have I covered, hate. I have,
1: bad so many, cups. I have covered so many. I have covered so many USL Salvador games in Frisco. I can't even tell you. Ugh. Um, I, I'd be fine with that. I would be fine with it.
0: The other thing is, you don't have to have some big summer tournament every summer. Like Alexis Sanchez has played in summer tournaments every freaking summer going back to 2014. Well, he's
1: getting this summer off.
0: And he's getting this summer <laughs> off, which is maybe connected. I don't know, <laughs> but I just think that's kind of ridiculous.
1: Yeah, agreed. It, it's going to change. It, we're in the middle of the change. It's just hard to see. It's hard to see through the through the uh, through the muck to what it looks like on the other side. But but we're in the middle of that now.
0: Well, I am looking forward to a 32 team World Cup, which is the perfect number, even if that World Cup doesn't have the U.S. involved. And it starts pretty soon. So you and I are going to start maybe the next couple of weeks ramping up the World Cup talk a bit. Uh, we're, as we mentioned, just buried in World Cup preview stuff right now for Sports Illustrated magazine. So we should be able and qualified to talk about some of this stuff.
1: Well, even if we're not, we're going to do it.
0: That's true. Yeah. That's true. Now, keep in mind, this it will either excite our listeners or horrify them. We're going to have a daily podcast during the World Cup. And you will be landing in Moscow on June twelfth, the day before we find out if North America will host World Cup twenty six or Morocco.
1: You will be you will be in the Politburo by then, I believe, right? You'll have been there <laughs> I will have been there five days okay, by, or right. four days by then. Right. So I get in the I get in the twelfth. Um, and yeah, yeah, you'll you'll hear my, my drooling jet lagged idiocy, I guess, on a podcast uh, straight away.
0: But, for the merriment of everyone involved, uh, we are going to record a podcast the day you land <laughs> and every day thereafter until the day after the final um did you know this? Am I just informing you now that we're actually going to be doing a podcast every single day and including like World Cup off days?
1: No, no I mean I, well, I mean I don't know i i I can't see past this four thousand word story that I've got on my plate then. But- adam is waiting for um in 24 hours um but uh it'll i mean i'm i'm just the logistics of it uh you know and, and i and i don't know if people at home if fans if readers care about the it's hard to know right it's hard to know about about the 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 behind the scenes stuff of being at a world cup and whether that interests people or not sometimes it is interesting sometimes it's boring sometimes it's it's a pain in the ass um yeah you know but but a lot of that will be brought to bear at a world cup that we're not in right i mean as we've talked about i mean u.s soccer when you're covering the national team at a World cup there's a structure there's a schedule um you know there's a shuttle bus training all of these kinds of things that you kind of take for granted um when you when your country is in a World cup and you're covering it um are gone now and so to sort of be completely on our own and to imagine to imagine being late for our podcast because I got arrested trying to talk my way into Argentina training, um, like that's going to be a real thing. And I don't know if people will want to hear about this, uh, but it's going to happen. It, you know, it's going to be a bonkers, um, you know, potentially uh, dangerous few weeks there. And, uh, I don't think either of us have any idea what we're getting into or what we're going to be doing.
0: My favorite day of the World Cup is usually the day right around day 22, maybe day 17 when you're in the mix zone and like a Bulgarian journalist and a Romanian journalist get into a fist fight.
1: (laughs) As long as I'm not involved or at fault. (laughs) That's all that matters, man. As
0: long as we stay out of the fist fight,
1: damn it. Yeah, I'm not fighting Bulgarian.
0: (laughs) Because by that time you're dealing with serious non-showering issues with a lot of these journalists, um,
1: and uh, there are God, they can... there are God, I swear to God, I have felt like I've now you've been to more than I. I've been to two. You've been to what five now? You're 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 far more world cuppy than I am. But but like like they're like they're dudes who sleep in the media centers. I feel like like they set yeah. up fiend bags, and it's like you live here, don't you? Like like it becomes it becomes like a a a survival disaster movie. Um, And yes, there are guys who look like they've been under a bridge. Um, Tempers are short. Uh, You know, everyone got sick in Brazil, right? Everybody, every single person that we were with got sick at least some point in Brazil and also was the victim of some kind of financial or credit card fraud. (laughs) Everybody. Yes, everybody. Um, And yeah, so we don't know. It's just going to be... For for us, as much as it's going to be about the soccer and the tournament, it's also going to be about simply trying to get through the, 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 the gears of, of Russia and what that's going to be, um, sort of absent the structure of, oh, another round table with Kyle Beckerman. Awesome. You know, like, like <laughs> without, without, you know, writing about, you know, you know, the, the, the daily U S soccer coaches press conference that we have a shuttle bus to, or, What's going on with Josie's hamstring? Um, it, it's just—it's going to be crazy. And obviously, you're also—you're—you're going to have two. At least I've only got one employer. You've got—you've got two employers uh, to deal with over there. So you're going to be shuttling back and forth between Fox and SI, and—and and, um, you're going to go insane.
0: I'm actually thinking that maybe we should still have an, a daily update on Josie Altidore's hamstring and call Josie and have him <laughs> come on and tell us about his
1: hamstring. God. Um, Josie's, I, I, Josie does have a good sense of humor, and he, he can be a fun guy, but I imagine his patience with that uh, with that bit wearing out pretty fast.
0: <laughs> so we'll at least have a daily update on the podcast of amusing travel note of the day, um, of which I'm expecting plenty from you since you'll be traveling around Russia more than I will. But uh, enough of our talk for it, this podcast. It's been fun, as always. Let's do it again next week.
1: Yeah, if I still have a job, yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30 Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon and Fubo TV. Recent guests include Becky Sauerbrunn, Brad Friedel, Rory Smith, and Miguel Almiron. See you next time.